The purpose of this podcast is solely for patient education. It is not intended to evaluate, diagnose, treat, or cure disease. Views expressed are those of the podcasters and not their affiliate. Any medical questions or concerns should be addressed by the listener's physician or care provider. Listening to this podcast does not constitute a patient-physician relationship between the listener and the podcaster. We do hope the podcast can help enhance the listener's own medical experience. Welcome back to Everything Your Doc Wants You to Know and Doesn't Have Time to Tell You. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform about health matters affecting adults. From latest research updates to tips on navigating the healthcare system and everything in between. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Lindsay. How's it going, Lindsay? Good. How are you? Doing well. Thank you. What did you uh, do this weekend? Well, it's finally warming up outside, so nice to get out and uh, enjoy the sun, do a little jogging. Yeah. How about yourself? It was good. We... The snow melted enough, we went on some bike rides, actually. And so, yeah. Very just nice. Nice change in, in attitude when the sun is out shining. It does help. It does help. Yes. So today we have diabetes on the on the docket. And first we'll start out talking about what is diabetes, who's at risk for it, symptoms to look out for, complications, and then we will move into prevention. Um, I think that This is an important topic because it affects many people, not just the people living with diabetes, but those who are at risk as well. Definitely. And I think we're specifically focusing on type 2 diabetes um, or insulin-resistant diabetes. Yes. So currently in the U.S., this was as of 2017, there are over 100 million people in the United States living with either diabetes or prediabetes. It's about 30 million with diabetes and more than 80 million who have prediabetes. So very large percentage of the population that's dealing with this. And the thing about type 2 diabetes is it is preventable. Right. So let's get into what it is and what causes it, and then we can later talk about how to prevent it. Yeah, so diabetes is when uh, blood sugars are elevated beyond the normal values. Um, And in in type 2 diabetes, it's because um, when your body puts out insulin, so insulin is the um, hormone, hormone, thank you. (laughs) Insulin is the hormone that is released from our pancreas that pushes sugar or glucose from the bloodstream into the cells so it helps to lower the blood sugar right so if that glucose doesn't get into cells then it stays in the blood and causes high levels of sugar and deposits places or causes damaged places where it's not supposed to be and when we become insulin resistant the insulin is put out but it doesn't get as much sugar from the or glucose from the bloodstream into the cells you have higher blood sugars so this all starts when people um, are consuming a high sugar or high processed uh, refined carbohydrate diet the body gets used to seeing a lot of sugar in the bloodstream and then the cells start responding less well to the insulin which is the signal that tells the cells to take up that glucose Cells start saying, you know, I have enough glucose. I don't need to um, take any more. And that's when the blood glucose levels start to rise. What is the danger to high blood sugar or glucose levels? So the danger is that this high level of circulating sugar goes places that we don't want it to be. And so that can cause damage in tiny, tiny blood vessels in the body. So one of the first places we tend to see it is in the eyes. Um, And yeah, it's the leading cause of blindness. Mm -hmm. 
Yep, can cause hemorrhaging at the back of the eye and eventually lead to blindness. It can affect small nerves and it tends to start with the longest nerves first, which are the nerves of the feet. People will often notice some numbness or burning pain and that can progress to complete numbness and lead to other complications over time. When high levels of glucose are circulating through the kidneys, which normally um, help clear the blood a little bit and release things that we don't need in the urine, the kidney filters get damaged from the glucose levels and that leads to a decrease in kidney function over time. And some people do end up requiring kidney transplants or dialysis because of damage done by diabetes. And also the peripheral arterial disease. Um, it's one of the main causes of amputations in toes and feet and um, in the adult population. And also is a big contributor contributor or risk factor for heart attacks and strokes. Right. Yep. So lots of things that um, can be problematic when glucose levels are too high. And we're just hitting the major points here. And so what type of person is at risk of type 2 diabetes? So most commonly type 2 diabetes occurs in patients, people who are overweight or obese. Um, not all people who are overweight or obese do develop type 2 diabetes or prediabetes, but certainly they're at risk. And then the other big population, again, is the people who consume high amounts of refined or processed sugars. And that can not necessarily be in the form of just desserts and sweets, but also refined grains, so pasta, crackers, um, potatoes are high in sugar. They're very starchy foods, so eating lots of regular potatoes can lead to prediabetes. Um, things like juices or other sugary drinks, soda that have a lot of added sugar are also problematic. And I would add probably people who are not getting a good activity or exercise in their lifestyle. Absolutely. Would be at risk for type 2 diabetes. Right. Exercise does help increase sensitivity to insulin at the cellular level. So very important. So what... The symptoms you might expect to experience if you had high blood sugars, um, often we, you don't know, um, and it's not until blood sugars are pretty high that you start to experience maybe blurred vision, increased need to urinate, um, so urinating very often, and thirst. So you, you drink, you want to keep drinking water all throughout the day um, because you can't, can't get enough. And your body's trying to dilute that glucose by getting you to drink more, and it's trying to get rid of it in the urine. But um, when you have diabetes, it's unable to do that without medication or without treatment in many cases, or a dramatic reversal of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And how would we diagnose somebody with diabetes? Right. So we, as um, physicians, will look at two different things. We look at the A1C level or hemoglobin A1C. And what that is, is we look at in the lab, they take a look at your hemoglobin levels and what they look at is there's a buildup of glucose on those hemoglobin that um, builds up over about a three-month period the lifespan of red blood cells the thicker that glucose layer the higher the a1c level which indicates higher sugar levels in the blood so that kind of gives us a three-month average peak at, at blood sugars right and so those numbers normal is less than 5.7 um, in the standard reference range that we use here in the united states Prediabetes is 5.7 to 6.5, and anything 6.5 or higher is diagnostic of diabetes. The other way to uh, diagnose would be a fasting blood sugar level, and um, a fasting level greater than 
126. It would give greater you greater than or equal to 126. Well, greater yeah. than or equal to 126 on at least two occasions, fasting would give you the diagnosis of diabetes. Right. There are also other methods you sometimes used, um, not as commonly used in the primary care clinic, but those would be glucose tolerance testing. And that's more reserved for um, certain situations such as obstetrics and right. things like that. So most commonly, we are looking at A1C tests and then blood sugar or glucose levels in the blood. Right. What do we want to touch a little bit about um, how we would treat if you were diagnosed? Absolutely. So early on in a diagnosis for my patients, um, we'll talk about lifestyle modifications first. And that means changing diet, increasing exercise, the things that we know can help lower blood sugar. If those patients tell me they don't really think they can make a lot of changes, then we do start medication. If, and this would be in the pre-diabetes kind of right, yep, yep. range. If patients tell me that they think they can make some significant changes, then we absolutely try to do that first because we'd rather um, you know, get to the root of the problem than just try to put a Band-Aid on it with medications. Right, and so um, the first things I talk about are certainly concentrated sweets so if are you eating a lot of cookies and pies and right that's kind of the obvious one you need to limit those or eat in moderation certainly um the other big things like um kirsten talked about earlier would be the white breads the white pastas and an easy thing to do early on or that we all should do probably now um, whether you're pre-diabetic or not is certainly limit how often you're eating pasta as your meal or white breads and if you are eating those things you need to eat in moderation but also you should choose whole grain varieties so you can buy whole grain pastas you can buy um garbanzo bean pasta made out of garbanzo beans and soy um so you have lots of alternatives for pastas that you should you know transfer in or switch out on occasion um and certainly no you should never eat white bread in my eyes, uh, but certainly very rarely should you eat white bread and you should be choosing, you know, whole whole grain breads. Right. And I just want to step aside here for a second and say that this um, dietary information that we're going to give for patients who are pre-diabetes or diabetes or um, just want to be healthy really can apply to everyone. So even right. if you don't have those things, trying to follow a healthier, lower processed carbohydrate diet will have um, health benefits for everybody. So even if you don't have diabetes and think maybe this talk isn't necessarily related to you, um, I think there will be things that you can get out of this. Right. Another another big switch, as you said, the white potatoes are, are a big culprit mm-hmm. and have lots of um, carbohydrates that are damaging, would be switching to sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the other thing that we can talk about a little bit, and we won't go into huge depth here, but we could um, maybe in another episode go into more detail, is just what a serving of carbohydrates is and what that should mean for a given time of day or given meal. So in in diabetes education, our, our educators will tell our, talk with our patients about what um what an appropriate serving is of a carbohydrate. And usually if you're reading labels, that would be 15 grams of carbohydrates is one serving of carbohydrates. So when we talk about that, just to give you a few um, examples, I I think it's a fourth cup of rice, of brown rice, would be one carbohydrate serving. 
Nine grapes is one carbohydrate serving. Half an apple and a third of a banana are one carbohydrate serving. So these are not large portions here that we are talking about. And then when we talk about meals, so generally if you have diabetes or prediabetes, I recommend to people to limit carbohydrates in the morning to no more than two, maximum three at breakfast time. So a big caramel roll would probably have four carbohydrates right there, which means that it should be off the table most of the time. Um, if, if you have a mid-morning snack, that could be one to two carbohydrates with some protein. Lunchtime, usually I'll again say two to three carbohydrates and the rest of your calories should come from other types of foods. And then again, mid-afternoon snack, maximum of two carbohydrate servings. And supper time, usually three, maximum of four carbohydrates, maybe five if you're in the pre-diabetes range and not yet diabetic. But those are the kinds of numbers that we look at throughout the day in terms of how people should be kind of limiting their carbohydrates. And you kind of touched on this as it matters what you're eating with the carbohydrate. So if you're eating it all alone, then that'll be absorbed much more quickly and cause a huge uh, surge or rise in your blood sugar which would be more damaging than if you ate it with a protein which is going to slow the absorption and improve it over time and not allow for that huge spike. Right and if you're eating a balanced diet really this is not too difficult to do Um, and again for even people who do not have diabetes it kind of helps create some balance where if you look at what your carbohydrate servings are. You know, if you want to have a dessert, it doesn't mean you can never have a dessert. It just means then you have to sacrifice some of the other carbohydrates that you might have eaten. So it's kind of nice that way. It doesn't, it's not um, completely restrictive. And I think there's also a huge difference between drinking a glass of orange juice and eating an orange, right? So they're both giving you a good amount of sugars, but you're getting some other nutrients when you drink the whole fruit or when you when you eat the whole fruit because you have the fiber and other things that are that are healthful to you than if you just drink a glass of orange juice. So I know um, a lot of people think you know, when you have kids that giving them a glass of orange juice is a good thing. I've never had my kids actually drink a lot of juices, apple juice or anything um, because of the sugar content and how I think that starts them out liking sweet things and will, you know, go th- and, and being just high sugars without a lot of nutrients, right? Right, I so, agree. So I've tried to get them to eat the orange instead or eat the apple instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that we, we all should do as adults too. Right, and that can apply, the, the fiber content can apply to other foods too. So if you're eating beans, lentils, or chickpeas, or some other bean form, they do have more carbohydrates than, say, just pure a pure piece of meat of the same volume. But they also have more fiber, and that fiber actually reduces the way that your body absorbs the carbohydrates. And so their carbohydrate value is similar I would say, on average, to that meat protein or some other protein source when there is more fiber present. I think probably in the future we'll find more out about the microbiome and its whole role in in even diabetes, I would imagine. And there's a lot of research going on in how the bacteria in our gut from the foods we eat um, affect illness. 
Right. We know right now that eating processed meat can cause the bacteria in the gut to release certain byproducts that do contribute to insulin resistance. And so that sandwich meat or processed meat or bacon can contribute to diabetes, even though they're not carbohydrates, they're proteins. And I think there's a lot um, we're going to find out about sugar substitutes, which unfortunately are not good for the gut microbiome um, and weight, weight gain, weight losses. Um, so it's it's hard because when you're a diabetic, you often turn to the sugar substitutes, but that's probably not the, the best thing to do. Right. So what what um, do you recommend people fill their plates with? Uh, vegetables and fruits, um, but mainly vegetables. Yeah, I, I will tell patients to do about half their plate with vegetables. And then the, uh, they can do a fourth of some form of protein. It doesn't have to be meat. It could be legumes as well. And then the other fourth could be your fruit or cheese or other healthy fats too, like avocados or coconut, things like that. So if patients are doing these things, they're trying the healthy diet, trying to limit their carbohydrates um, and exercising, and we've talked about exercise previously, really the goal is 150 minutes per week of exercise. Dedicated they, yep, exercise. Yep, dedicated exercise, <laughs> not just walking a long ways across the parking lot. Right. If those things are happening and we're still seeing prediabetes and diabetes, which can happen, there, there are definitely people out there who have, have a right. genetic predisposition mm-hmm. to it, then we do start medication treatment. And the most common and one that's been around probably the longest and very safe and low side effect profile would be metformin. Um, And that um, is generally what we start first thing, even in prediabetes, it's been shown to decrease your risk of becoming diabetic. And actually weight loss clinics are using metformin to help with weight loss. Um, It really helps kind of turn around that whole what we call metabolic syndrome, where people are gaining weight, gaining insulin resistance, um, and helps turn around that process so it doesn't progress, like you said. Right. Yeah, so metformin is a great starting place. We're really fortunate right now to be living in the time that we do because for diabetes, there are many, many treatment options. We won't go into detail on all of those today, but we can just do a quick overview. Right, I generally start people on the metformin and if um, we're still not controlled with that and lifestyle changes then I another well-known been around forever cheap medication uh, would be a a sulfonylurea which includes a glipizide or glimipizide. Yeah and those medications like you said have been around for a long time. They do okay but they don't help with that metabolic syndrome. They don't really help reverse anything and they have a limited uh, period of efficacy of maybe 10 to tw- 20 years at maximum, but probably more like 10 to 15 years. And beyond that point, people start or really stop responding to them. And then it's time to switch to alternatives. Then I think my next favorite currently are the GLP-1 agonists. And they um, act like a protein that's secreted when you do normally when you normally eat a meal, they increase the secretion of insulin from the pancreas um, and help get that insulin into your cells. They also slow your stomach processing down, which leaves you feeling full. Right. They've been shown to work well for weight loss as well. Right. So I like that group because they do kind of help with multiple um, contributing factors. So patients may see better glucose readings and some weight loss at the same time. Right. Which is beneficial in itself. 
Um, unfortunately, they're injectables at this point mm-hmm. for the most part, but they are they do have a once weekly, right? Which is good. a nice option compared to a daily injection. There's but. another class of medications called SGL2T inhibitors. And basically, they inhibit the reabsorption of glucose in the kidneys, so you you urinate out the excess sugars. Yeah, this is a newer category of medications. I haven't used them a lot yet because because of the way they work, they make you pee more more sugar. They do increase the risk of infections right. in the urine and in the perineum, especially in women um, when they're when those people are taking them, and so. There's a, there is a risk of infection with these ones, but they're great because they do help get rid of extra fluid. So patients who have heart, heart failure and diabetes can really benefit from these medications. Exactly. So they're good, good in heart disease. I've had good luck in some men, but I've, and a handful of women have done well. And then I've had some really struggle with the uh, vaginal infections mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and urinary tract infections. There's another category called DPP-4 inhibitors. You probably um, aren't going to remember these names, but just so you know that they're available. They um, affect how our bodies synthesize, how they, how we make and release insulin, and um, again, help get insulin into the cells. They're also fairly new. Um, I'd say so-so in terms of efficacy, but in my experience, the cost hasn't been... Um, they're, they're expensive, so the benefit hasn't been good enough to justify the cost. I've used it in an effort to try to not have to use injectables. Right, but because it's kind they of the oral. Last res- it's right. kind of a last resort. Yes. And it, yeah, they have a very modest reduction in your A1C. So. Right. Yeah, not one that I use a lot, but I do have a handful of patients mm-hmm. on those as well. Everybody wants to avoid the injections, right. and that's understandable. And then, right, beyond that, then we move to insulin. And again, there are a lot of different varieties of insulin, which we don't need to go into detail in right now, but um, different forms have different durations. They last for different periods of time and work for different periods. And so um, lots of ways to get good glucose control with medications when when we can't do it with lifestyle. Right. Yeah, this week I wanted to talk about cucumber quinoa salad. It's kind of a nice, fresh spring salad. Not too hard to make and really healthy. Um, and I found it on 2peasandtheirpod.com. Ingredients are quinoa, um, chickpeas, there's some dill and mint and cucumbers, of course, and then some olive oil and seasoning. And it's a nice, refreshing summer salad. With a good uh, plant proteins in there. Exactly. Check it out on our website, everythingdoc.com, at the show notes for this um, episode. And you can find the recipe and more details at oh, that site. One pearl I learned about quinoa is the bitter. you can take away the bitter flavor if you rinse them in water before you boil them. Huh. That's a good, good tip. Yeah, something I learned, and it's proved useful. Excellent. <laughs> We would love to answer your questions, so send them in. We definitely have um, appreciated all the positive feedback and the things, the uh, input that we've received so far. So keep it coming. If you have questions about diet or general questions about medications and things like that, we're happy to answer those. Definitely. You can also um, find us and rate us and like us on uh, not only Facebook, but Twitter 
as well as the uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Right. And, you know, if you if you think this podcast is helpful, maybe it doesn't every episode doesn't apply to you, but you find that it's beneficial. Please share it with family and friends. We um, our goal is just to get more um, or better health education for the population. And so we're really trying to reach a broad audience. And if you know people who you think would enjoy listening or get something out of it, please do share it with them. And like Kirsten said, we want to we're here for you. So we want to answer your questions. So please, uh, please write us at mail at everythingdoc.com that's m-a-i-l at e-v-e-r-y-t-h-i-n-g-d-o-c dot com all right our website is everythingdoc.com so you can find us there find our other podcasts find show notes from today we'll list some resources for um, healthy eating and um, diabetes management and things like that so you can find some more information there Mm -hmm.